welcome back to another episode of the Patient Stew Podcast. Today we got a doubleheader. We got uh, Ryan Dickey, Andrew Grismore joining us on the back end of this as we look over one of a bunch of the stakes this weekend. There's like 138 of them. So we're going to try and handicap everyone, give you some winners since we've been hot. But starting off, the leadoff hitter, you know him, you love him. He's Matt Bernier. Matt, how are you, brother? Good, Stu. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Um, wow, it's been a crazy, crazy sports week. Uh, we got to get to your triumph, your big triumph. But first, before we do that, wanna and, and I know people are going to be like, "What, well, Matt Bernier's talking something other than uh, <laughs> what's going on. But, uh, yeah, I want to definitely plug up front. I thought two things. Your episode this past week, even without the video, really solid. And I thought you – there's some tidbits in there that I want to make people go listen to because I think your analysis of what's going to happen at Churchill this weekend is really interesting. And uh, we'll get to a little bit of the Belmont stuff. I don't want to spoil too much. So check that out. And the Horse Players reunion was fun to watch. The Team Rotondo, very shy. Weird. You know, I, I think it was one of those things, too, where the boys and everybody were all trying to be cognizant of allowing everyone a little bit of a, a talking time. But I tell you what, you get those boys. They started, fun. To, they started to loosen up a little bit as, as, the, uh, as the evening went on. But if you get them <laughs> out of that element, it's – I say it to people all the time. What you saw on the show from them, that, is, that's, that might be a muted version of them. They are, they are as eccentric and fun and just out of control as, as, as you saw on the show, and, and that's them, every bit of them in, in real life. Yeah, America's Best Racing is doing a lot of cool stuff, and, and that's one of them. So check that out. It's in the archives. Uh, well worth the watch. But, you know, I wanted to hit you up mainly because of Webb Simpson, which we'll get to in a moment. But also, you know, with everything going around in baseball and been talking to friends, and I figured let's talk to somebody who's – a diehard, you know, I'm from Detroit. So I think baseball, when you're from Detroit, when you're from New York or Boston, uh, baseball is kind of important, even if your team is the drizzling, uh, you know, what's uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm mired in. Uh, but you're a Boston guy, big Red Sox guy. What, what's your take on everything just, you know, from a jumping off point? Well, I mean, it, it, it's hard in the, the current climate with everything that's going on to see the players union and the owners squabble over millions and millions of dollars. And given how many people are unemployed right now, given how many people are dealing with illnesses and all sorts of different uh, hardships, it, it's hard not to get, I'm not, I got to sort of censor myself. It's hard not to be sort of dejected and angry with the whole situation. It's like, just figure it out. Everybody wants some sort of a little bit of an outlet. And I get it. You need to make sure that everything is as safe as it possibly can be. Obviously, there's been some issues with the PGA Tour lately because of that. But I think the reality of the situation is you need to figure out a way to live with it as opposed to just stop everything and, you know, figure that out. But from the baseball standpoint, it, it didn't even necessarily feel like that was anything that was involved. It, it all of a sudden turned into a collective bargaining agreement talk. And it was like, yep. just get back to playing. I mean, you, the, the amount of money, and then you start hearing all the other sort of stories where, you know, due to the lack of revenue sharing this year with the shortened schedule and, you know, some owners are saying they would rather not play at all. And I'm like, then I understand it's a business first and foremost from an ownership standpoint. 
but aren't you kind of in the wrong business if you don't want to play? Like, I just, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. What other, what other business are you better off not being open for? I mean, that, that, like, isn't that counterintuitive? Isn't, isn't the point of owning a business to, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade, make money. And for you to, to potentially gain by not being open for business, it just, I had a very difficult time wrapping my head around all that. And I said it, I was like, at this point, they all, it, they, it deserves to just go down into the ground. It's a disaster right now. So we'll see what 60 games looks like. Um, I don't love that the playoffs are going to be, I mean, in, in, theoretically almost as long as the regular season, but um, it's, it's just going to be, it'll be fun to get back to having something to pay attention to in a, about a month's time. I, I loved, you got to love it uh, when you see Mookie Betts uh, traded for a bounty for one year and then he's just coming right back to Boston. So oh. you, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. I, I got to be honest. I don't, I'm going to be very curious to see how that whole thing plays out. There's a part of me that just genuinely believes he'll end up staying in LA. Um, I, for a minute there, though, there were some people that would send me messages and say, talk about just a, a a crazy sequence of events where the trade happens, the Red Sox are being bashed for it, which I'm on the record saying, I don't, I don't dislike the trade. I mean, I know a lot of people were saying, you know, you're trading away a generational talent, the best homegrown talent that the Red Sox have had since, I mean, you name it, you can go all the way back to the likes of, you know, Yastrzemski or, or somewhere, Tony, Tony C or somewhere anywhere down that line. But he never gave any indication that he was going to stay. And how can you go into that, that final leg, especially for a team, let's just be honest. I mean, the Red Sox from a pitching standpoint are way up against it offensively. They're not going to have any problem scoring runs with or without Mookie Betts, but they just, you know, this is a team that's probably a fringe wildcard team this year. And if you can get some young controllable talent from a money standpoint for the foreseeable future, I don't have any issue with that. Again, just strictly from a from a business standpoint. So we'll we'll see what happens. There's a part of me that does believe he'll end up staying in LA when it's all said and done. Well, that's the other thing is is when you go with the Dave Dombrowski model, and we saw it in Detroit, and we saw it in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you build up, right? You take over a situation, you build up a farm, and you get a couple guys going. You trade them away. You sign big free agents, you trade away your young prospects, you get that window, the window opens up, that's how you end up with Scherzer, Verlander, David Price, Porcello, and then you got Fielder and Cabrera and et cetera, and you you have a shot, you have a little window. But then when the window closes, uh, you got to have a fire sale, and people are going to pay you 20 cents on the dollar. What he did with Boston, you know, trading uh, Moncada away, um, trading Eloy. Well, Eloy wasn't uh, with the Red Sox, but he, he traded away a lot of uh, a lot of prospects, a lot of guys who are now stepping up. Michael po- Kopech, uh comes to mind. Trade away these guys, but you get Chris Sale. You know, you bring in studs. The window opens up, and and you win a chip, and now you just got to rebuild. Um, I think they got the right people in there. But it, going back though, '94, you you were you were a baseball fan in '94, I take it. I would well see. I was a baseball fan, but to be honest, I mean, I was I was five years old. Okay. So I wasn't really, you know, I, I was paying attention, but to, to be honest, like the whole this week in baseball, and that's it. 
Yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't a matter of, and I would watch the Red Sox when they weren't on Nesson, when they were on cable, because my grandfather, my grandparents had Nesson, but they lived a town away and my parents wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't pay for Nesson when it was a pay <laughs> channel. So I would always like, you would have to watch, the Sox used to be on Fox 25, which is a local Boston station. And when they were on, it was great. I could watch them. It was awesome. But it, it seemed like without fail, whenever they were on Fox 25, it was somebody like Tim Wakefield pitching. Or I remember the John Burkett years. And Oof. it was like, can I get Pedro once? <laughs> I'm not asking for much. But then, and then Nesson started, got, you know, kind of got folded into the, the packages and all that sort of stuff. And it was fine as I probably, I would say probably 12, 13. That was when you got to watch all the games. But uh, yeah, as far as 94 with the, the labor strike, I, I didn't, um, I didn't, it didn't really register with me. To you, is this reminiscent? I mean, because you, you learn later on about it. Um, the year the Expos won the World Series, you learn about it later. Uh, to you, to your mind, baseball, are, are we in a worse spot uh, than we were at 94? And do you think this thing can be salvaged in any way? Or do we, uh, do we just tear it down? And um, that CBA is coming. I mean, it, it looks like they're going to have a lockout. Yeah, I mean, to me, the bigger problem is, you know, like as far as the model is concerned, if you want to say, you know, the revenue sharing and all that stuff, it, it goes to, you know, obviously the, the smaller clubs or the, the, the let's say, less financially um, lucrative clubs, you know, they, they are the ones that benefit from it. But then there's no real there's no real rule that they need to end up spending any of that money. Like, it's, to me, it's just a broken model. It doesn't. It Tampa work. Bay, Tampa Bay, we're talking about you. Tampa, Pittsburgh, um, yeah. you know, some, some of these smaller clubs. I don't really know the deal with the, with the Royals because they did have that little piece there, but then they didn't pay any of the players because they, <laughs> they couldn't. But the, like, yeah. So I don't, I don't know all the details about certain stuff like that, but that just doesn't seem like a model that's going to work long term. So I'm not advocating for a, for a salary cap because I think in a way the, the luxury tax situation sort of – takes care of that i mean the red Sox. you know are, the funny are, part it's 200 million man yeah it's, that, that i mean i think there's only one or two teams maybe the yankees or the dodgers are above the, the luxury tax yeah and that was the big thing with boston this year it's because they didn't want to pay the and it, i mean i guess when you my friends really are beside themselves about the idea of the ownership group, John Henry and, and Fenway Sports Group and all that, the, the whole kind of conglomerate there, the idea that they, they're having a hard time. They don't want to pay $15 million toward a tax when the team is worth something stupid like $3 billion. And it's like, well, I get the I, – I understand the, the anger from a fan standpoint, but at the same time from a business standpoint, it's $15 million. We're not talking about, you know – five grand for for these folks i mean it's still it's still a lot of money so i do get the idea or the deterrent to go over i believe it's a three-year period if you're over the number that's when yeah, you i believe you're get, right yep. and it, com it compounds from there for all the years that you're over it so I, if it is a salary cap that's one thing but it's to me it's almost more a matter of you need to have and i believe there is technically a, a floor i think it's 30 million um but you need to just ensure that there are the owners of the other teams are spending to the, to their max capability, as opposed to just sitting on money that's coming through from some of these other teams that are benefiting from being in larger markets or their owners have a boatload of cash or whatever the case may be. Um, 
that part to me is definitely broken. But then more importantly, and, and someone as somebody who I played baseball right through, you know, my early 20s, the, the game is not great to watch right now. It just takes too damn long. It's, I, I, you know, as much as I love playoff baseball, I, I can't justify sitting there for five and a half hours. I mean, that, that, that's an asinine amount of time to ask a fan to sit there and go through, especially when you get into postseason baseball in October and the starter looks mildly rocky and he's going to get the hook in the third or fourth inning. And now it's a bullpen game and there's going to be 13 different pitching changes all told between the two teams. I mean, that that's just not something that a younger demographic is going to be interested in, in wasting the time with. So I don't know what you need to do. I don't know. I've said to even my buddies for this 60 uh, game season, I would have loved them to go to seven innings. I, I know it, it, it goes against everything that is traditional about baseball, but it's just too long. I think there needs to be fundamental changes about how the game is played. You know, you're going to get people starting to look at you like you're Dan Cortez throwing up a 15 <laughs> point ball or something, but yeah, I know. Okay. Know so uh, my, my last thing, and this is, you know, uh, baseball guy to baseball guy here. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I was talking to PTF about it. I was texting him about it. The, have you heard about the Yankee memo? Uh, as far as the sign-stealing stuff? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, and you hate to see it. Just horrible. You hate it. <laughs> of all um, people, right? The yeah, just you hate it. Uh, the Yankees, uh, you know, uh, there, there's some smoke to the Red Sox stuff. No offense. No, totally. Uh, the, the Houston thing. And then we can keep going down the list. You have uh, folks trying to collectively bargain in the middle of a pandemic. Um, there's, like you said, they're they're not catering to younger fans. the The fan base is getting older. Uh, I don't know if you saw the thirty for thirty about long gone summer with Sosa McGuire and baseball. Kind of, you know, they just closed their eyes and looked away. Not hard for Bud Selig to do, but mm. just close his eyes. And, and you start compounding all these things. Do you feel, and we've seen what happens in horse racing, when you lose integrity at a track, <laughs> goodbye. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think baseball has lost its integrity and, and is in real danger of, of slipping here even further? I mean, money-wise, it's still doing fine. I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry, but, like, at a certain point, if, if you start losing integrity, it, it's a slippery slope. I think the, to me, the, the sign stealing stuff is, and it's, I'm sure some people will, you know, kind of roll their eyes at this. I think the sign stealing stuff is worse than the steroids situation of the, the 90s and early 2000s. I agree. Just, just because, I mean, you're fundamentally the game itself, you know, say what you will, the, the folks that are all juiced up on roids, you still need to play the game. And sure, you can now, as opposed to hitting a 415-foot home run, you're hitting a 470-foot home run, but you still need to play the game. Whereas if, if the game itself is compromised, that's when you start to lose. People look at it and go, well, is it, is it I don't want to say rigged, but you're not, it's not a level playing field. But then there's also the sort of flip side argument for me, the 180 of, I, I find it so incredibly hard to believe. And I'm not saying this is some, I think the Red Sox, honestly, they kind of got off light. I think Alex Cora is going to be back next year, which is yeah. funny, but I, I think to believe that only the Astros 
Red Sox and Yankees were doing anything like this. Oh, for I, sure. I think it's oh, just kind of sure. naive. You know what I mean? And they happen to have been the teams that had great success over this time. And, you know, it was kind of the, the pointing fingers thing, you know, where the Yankee fans or the Yankees in general with the whole Astros piece and you saw the, um, the, the stuff from Aaron Judge. And, and now it's like, well, you know, you shouldn't throw stones if you you know the whole glass house thing like you you guys are probably doing much of the same stuff maybe it's not to the extent that they were but it's you know there was still something going on and once you get rid of that obviously I think that's a major piece to it but I'm more concerned just in general about the the game itself where is it you know with it's become so analytical and so, you know, what, what is a manager's job anymore at this point? It feels like it's, it's honestly just to sort of be an earpiece for some of the players to sort of vent to. Or, you know, it's more or less being a, a people manager as opposed to a game manager because all the decisions are coming from upstairs. Sure. And, and that, to me, is when it just gets kind of boring. And it's like, let, let the game play out. I, I, I think replay should be done away with immediately. I, I, don't you know let there be some human error let let the game play out when we played growing up there was you don't have to worry about you know it's not like there was some general manager or or one of the the guys with the pocket protector upstairs looking around saying you know because somebody's x y and z number score is this you know uh nothing but curveballs like well that that i mean let let the game kind of organically play out that way, and I think that would have really pretty, that would have really jacked up your BAPIP in high school, man. But you you know what I'm saying? Like I think that's one <laughs> of those not. things where it's like, why don't you let the game kind of dictate that as opposed to playing it by the sheet and doing all this other? To me, it's just it loses some of its luster. It's it's not to me. It's not really baseball. It's it's essentially you think about the way that it, what it's turned into. Your your most likely outcomes are a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. Like that's that's so, that's beer league softball. That's not that 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 shouldn't be what baseball's turned into. And and that that bothers me. Part of the game, part of baseball, is the strategy, but organic strategy. Not I hate the shift all the time. I hate the lefty lefty. You know we're going to stop the game. We're going to have this lefty come in. And I know they changed the rule where it's a three batter thing this year. But I hate the idea of the lefty specialist. And I I. It just it slows everything down, and the guys are coming in for one batter at a time. Do away with that. Don't you know? I I just there are things that need to be remedied. I think, and and hopefully, I I mean, look, if they're not recognizing it right now, uh, they're they're hopeless. No, I completely agree, and I, I want to have you back on and talk a little bit more baseball because you said a lot of interesting things that I agree with. Some some I disagree with, and we yeah. can have a longer discussion. Um. You know, I, I got to – I got to – I know we got to get to Belmont. We're getting to it. We're getting to it. Calm your horses. Uh, Webb Simpson, <laughs> you come out, and, and I sent you, you a tweet that this tweet really aged well. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for that because I got him at plus 500. I didn't get him at plus 2,800, uh, which is what I think he went off at. Yes. Um, what led you there? Uh, I'm starting to get into the golf thing after our conversation, which aired uh, last week. Go check it out where you were talking up golf and I'm like, well, I'll get into it. Yeah. I got into it. I, I dug it. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm starting off slow cause it's like a new track. You don't know where you're sure. betting. So you just walk into it. But um, what are some of the things that you're looking for when you're picking guys out 
and and what was it that led you to web well i so i think it's one of those things too where you know you want to make sort of a comparison to horse racing you need to like there you know we talk about horse for course angles um golf is very very similar guys that have had success at certain courses for whatever reason uh it's no different than uh, if you or I play certain courses, some courses are going to fit your eye and some aren't. You're going to get there and feel very uncomfortable. And some others are going to get there and feel like I can do anything out here. And I think that's first and foremost, I look for that sort of piece. But then also there are different sort of styles of courses where you have a harbor town, you have a colonial a couple of weeks ago. They're not necessarily catered to the, the modern day player where we see these guys out there hitting 330 yard drives consistently and any of that kind of stuff. Those two tracks were a little bit more, I don't want to say tighter, but they're typically going to play a little bit more toward the more traditional game. I'll call it where it's guys that they, they're, they can't overpower a course. It's going to precision is going to go a lot longer than sort of just your raw power off the tee. And part of the idea with Webb Simpson is he's not a guy that that's going to overpower any golf course. He just doesn't have that. He doesn't, you know, uh, pun, excuse the pun. He doesn't have that club in his bag. He doesn't have the ability to go out there and hit it as far as a Dustin Johnson or a Brooks Kepka or somebody like now the, the Bryson DeChambeau sort of experience, which is, God, that guy's a monster. It's in, I mean, this, you want to talk about, it's incredible, but so I look for those sort of things. And then, when you get to a track like this week, we're recording this on, on Thursday of the, the 25th, you know, they're, they're in Hartford. Uh, this is typically a tournament at TPC River Highlands that distance, it, it's not a prerequisite, but it's a much more open sort of landscape. I actually got to go to the tournament a few years ago, and it's, you can understand why the guys that can bomb it, again, it, it sound, it's really kind of basic. The guys that have the length have an advantage at a course like this where sort of your shot making is not necessarily at a premium. You, I'm not saying you have to hit it 330 yards, but it helps in a spot like this where there's not quite as much trouble as there may be if you're playing at a colonial and you're trying to do certain things, unless you are DeChambeau and you're taking ridiculous lines over trees and all sorts of different stuff. So those are just a couple things to, that I typically look for. Um, you know, the, you can go right on to PGATour.com and look at some of the statistics, and I think it's valuable information. Strokes gained off the tee. That's obviously, with the current present-day game, the biggest piece, where if you're, if you're playing a different game, I mean, it's, it's really no different than any of us out there on any given weekend. If you're giving up 30 or 40 yards to your playing competitor, just naturally, I'm going to have a 7-iron into a green. Well, you're going to have a 9-iron into a green. I mean, Percentage-wise, the nine iron into the green is going to be a much likelier scenario where you're going to end up closer to the hole than the seven or six iron is going to be. And it's no different on tour. It's actually, I think, exponentially more on tour because these guys are so good. So um, I would say those are a couple things to look for. And also, I think to kind of compare it to horse racing, we talk about the Breeders' Cup and what makes the Breeders' Cup so special is that you can get proper grade one animals that make they can go off seven, eight, nine, ten 10 to one yep. and still have a legitimate chance. And you can even go crazier than that. You can find a 15 or 20 to one shot that on paper is not a 15 or 20 to one shot, but just based on the field, you're going to get great value. The PGA tour and just golf in general, from a gambling standpoint, it's the same deal. 
I mean, your favorite this week, I believe when things were all said and done, ended up being Justin Thomas. And he was 11 to 1. And, yeah, and he's, he's plus 500 to make the top five. That's the thing. And I look at it and say, if, depending on what your threshold is, if you're someone that likes to just have some action, you know, you can take little flyers and bet 10 bucks on four or five different guys ranging from 20 to 100 to 1. And you've got sort of spread out coverage. You've got a little bit of, you know, diversification as far as rooting interest. It's what we talk about, you know, rooting interest on, on a dime, you know, with everything you said, and I know we got a, we got a heart out here in a moment. um, Give me a guy that you're looking for and I'll hit you right back with a, uh, with a horse racing question. I mean, for, for me this week in, in at Cromwell, I, I really did like the idea of Brooks kept coming into it. It felt like he had started to really put it together. And he's the kind of guy that when he gets rolling, he just mashes fields. And then unfortunately he had to withdraw because his caddy tested positive for COVID. Yeah. Um, I audibled to Patrick Cantlay. He's off to a good start here in the first round. I think I saw he's four under thus far through 10 or 11, but um, he's just the kind of guy who very steely, uh, hits it, I think, sneaky far, if you can say that for somebody that hits it in the sort of low 300 range, the 310, 315, if he gets a hold of one. Um, he just, I think he has a very good all-around game. He's just not the flashiest player, and he's not the most, he's just kind of a robot out there. He doesn't show a lot of emotion, and I think that's part of the reason that maybe he goes a little bit under the radar as far as coverage and things are concerned, because he just doesn't, he doesn't have the personality of, of some of the other big names that are out there. Beautiful. And uh, again, for, for, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to preface this with, for more of Matt's takes on horse racing, join the conversation. He's on YouTube, um, wherever you get your podcasts, the Matt Bernier show, check out this week's past episode. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, and I plan on joining the conversation here uh, after I do the lawn, uh, cause I got to finish it up still, but um Give me one of, uh, one of the big takeaways with, that, with leaving some meat on the bone for folks to go check out the, the episode from Tuesday. I think it's going to be very difficult for Tis the Law to not be the three-year-old champion of 2020 already at this point, and that's knowing that he's going to likely be an odds-on favorite for the Travers, knock on wood, assuming he stays sound. And if he does what most people expect him to do in a race like the Travers, he's probably going to be, if not the outright favorite, co-choice for a race like the Kentucky Derby and I just there's I don't have anything to knock about the horse he is he's tactical he's versatile he listens to commands he's fast he's agile and he goes out for top flight connections I just to me there's there are no holes to to he has no no areas that need improvement in my opinion he can do anything he can run in traffic and still be comfortable he's not a horse that's going to get rank all of a sudden if he's in behind taking kickback and he can also carry a bit of extra ground as we saw in the Belmont you know it was a a perfect situation perched three four wide in the clear Manny takes over whenever he wants and he kicks on I just think he's I think he's a complete package I would I'm going to be curious to see in his next start if we do get a forward move from a number standpoint because you know to be fair if you are looking for and I mean if we're really nitpicking He's, I don't want to say plateaued, but he's living in the 100 range as far as buyers are concerned. I'd like to see him move up into sort of the mid-100 range. And typically, I think this time of year, 
over the summer into early late August. That's usually when you that see 103 year olds. Yeah, that that 102 yeah. range. Yeah. So if you can get up into the 105 number, I think he's uh, he's definitely an interesting horse, not just for yeah, obviously the Derby, but I think the Breeders' Cup Classic as well. Last question. Now that you brought it up, very last question before we let you go. It, assuming he wins the Kentucky Derby, does he go to the Preakness? I'm going to say no. Uh, I think I'll take you and I JK. Think, I think simply because th- there's there's too much money to be had and made in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. I I just I I can't imagine because you can't run them both. You got to make a call one or the other. And I I think if he won the Derby, I think they would give him a little bit of a breather, knowing that he ran a mile and a quarter at the beginning of August as well, uh, and then get him ready for Keeneland. Beautiful. Matt Bernier, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for coming on, and uh, hopefully let's do this. Let's run this back in a few more weeks. Anytime, Stu. Thank you. Later. Now, before we get to the handicapping show that I promised you at the top, you might have noticed that we didn't have uh, a sponsor at the beginning of the show. No, We didn't lose him. We didn't take him off. He's here. He's joining us. He's the face that runs the place over at Iron Horse Racing, Harlan Malter. Thank you for coming on. Good to talk to you again, man. Yeah, hey, Al. It's uh, great, great to be back on with you. Hey, so uh, one of the reasons I, I wanted to get hold of you and not just run some type of promo is you got some really cool stuff going on. Iron Horse has uh, really been uh, pretty busy uh, the last few months, which is, you know, uh, considering everything is really tough. Can you update everybody um, that's listening as to what you got going on and, and maybe some plans for this year? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's obviously been a difficult, uh, a difficult first half of the year for everybody on the planet uh, and horse racing and uh, just specifically uh, has had a lot of uncertainty. So we've been pleasantly surprised with uh, uh, the enthusiasm of partners um, wanting to continue to buy horses. I think it's a testament to, uh, the passion we all have for the sport. So we, we were lucky enough to pick up two very nice two-year-olds um, at the uh, March sale uh, before this really, unfortunately, really got going. Um, both of them are doing fantastic. Uh, one is up with Bill Mott at Saratoga, progressing along nicely, and one is with uh, uh, Christophe Clement, uh, and that one looks like it might have a nice a start in July, so we're super excited about that. Uh, we then went on and picked up um, a nice horse at the June sale, which was really the next opportunity to buy. And I think, again, it's, it's a testament to just kind of the excitement and passion people have for horse racing and partnerships. And we've, we've really seen a, a huge growth. Uh, I think our stable's up to about 15 horses now. And kind of the model that we use with the, the no markup, no cost at all, uh, you know, where we are completely aligned with the partners uh, for any fees that we make uh, has been, um, uh, you know, very well received. So we actually have another partnership coming up that we're forming right now. Our bloodstock agent, Phil Hager, is at uh, Timonium as we speak, uh, watching Breezes, and there'll be a sale um, uh, next week. We're going to be looking. We've looked in different ranges. We bought a couple horses close to 200000 uh, earlier in the year, about 100000 or so horse in the April sale. And this is going to be more in the thirty to $50,000 range. Um, and I think what we like to try to do is offer partners a lot of different entry points um, to get involved. And obviously, having uh, bought Bucero for 43000 who then went on to make close to a million, obviously, um, there are different price points and different success stories at all over. We're running in a race, uh, um, on Saturday at, uh, Churchill against, uh, I 
think a horse that costs 975,000, a horse that costs 400,000, and you know, ours is a $57,000 horse. So that's what's great about horse racing. Everybody has an opportunity, everybody has a chance, and we wanna offer the partners the ability to kind of get in at different price points. Um, and so we're looking for something. Uh, all that information's up on our website, uh, ihracing.com. If, uh, if any of the listeners wanted to jump on board, it's, it's still open right now. So uh, hopefully, um, hopefully we can go find something nice and uh, uh, get a horse racing. You mentioned a couple big names, Mott, Christoph. Those are New York guys, but you're, you're running a horse at Churchill, too. What are some of the circuits and some of the trainers that you use outside the ones uh, you've mentioned here? Right. So, so, so Mott and Clement uh, handle, uh, they have uh, some horses that are up in New York. Um, between them, they have about five of our horses. We have a chunk of horses with Tim Gleisha, who is based, he was Bucaro's trainer. Um, he's based out of, uh, Churchill Downs and Indiana Grand, uh, during the summer. Uh, he's kind of our Indiana Grand guy. Uh, we actually just were lucky enough to win a, uh, $75,000 stakes, uh, with a horse last Wednesday with him. So that was a lot of fun. And, um, we also use Mike Trumpetta based out of the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, both Mike and, uh, Tim go to Florida, uh, as do Christoph and Bill in the winter. Uh, so really, um, East of the Mississippi, um, we are pretty much covered from top to bottom as far as access. And that's one of the things we like about uh, working with multiple trainers. It gives us the ability to manage the horses in a way that we're not linked to one circuit, uh, one track. Uh, if a horse fits better somewhere else, we can always move them. Uh, Bucero, for example, you know, went for Mike Trembetta. And when it seemed like he really needed to focus in Indiana, he moved to Tim Gleisha. Um, and uh, we've had a horse go from Tim Gleisha to Bill Mott. And it's really what's best for the horse and what's best for the partners. So you had also mentioned no markup fees and for, and for new owners or folks that may have uh, something, you know, somewhere there's, there's tons of different opportunities at all different levels, price points for iron horse racing. When you say no markup, whether it's a $200,000 horse or whether it's a $30,000 horse, what does that mean for somebody that's looking to get into the game? Well, I appreciate you bringing that up because that is definitely a focal point uh, for Iron Horse and really the model we built ourselves from the ground up. What we wanted to recreate was if you own 5% of a horse with Iron Horse, it is identical to if you owned 100% of the horse. There's no extra fees. There's no excesses. You basically are paying an advisory fee uh, based on the horse's earnings um, to Iron Horse to manage the horse. Uh, that's how you would own a racehorse. There, if you went to an auction, you would buy a horse, you'd pay the price. When the bill came, you pay the bill. There'd be no other costs. Uh, and we wanted to replicate that for partners because there really isn't a lot of opportunity to do that. Traditionally, and that's not every single partnership, but the traditional model prior to this had been a partnership goes out and buys a horse and marks that price up. Uh, they'll buy a horse to sell for price A and sell it to you for price B. Uh, and there can be a wide range in what that is. Uh, some are quite large. Um, some are a little bit smaller. But at the end of the day, you're paying for something uh, this horse may not ever make the racetrack um, and you're already uh, paying a substantial amount of money uh, without really seeing if the horse is even going to uh, give you a thrill of, of getting out of the gate even for a race. So we, we really feel that this best replicates the way a traditional owner uh, would buy a horse. It's really one of the few places where this gives you this opportunity where you can just buy the horse just like you would have if you bought 100% of the horse. And then basically you're just choosing to pay iron horse a fee to help manage that horse for you and pay them that fee. 
Um, so that's the no markup. If we go to the sale at uh, Timonium and we buy a horse for $40,000 and you own 5% you own of that horse, um, you're just going to pay uh, the $2,000 and you own 5% of the horse. There's no other costs. We don't charge any other fees at all. No expenses uh, have a markup and there's no administrative fee. So we, again, we just feel like uh, that best reflects a model um, that's consistent outside of horse racing and think that partners deserve the opportunity to uh, own horses in that same manner. Well, and for more information, I can't tell people enough, uh, Harlan and Iron Horse Racing, they're doing a great job. They're, they're friends and they support this podcast. Go check them out. Give them a look. That's ihracing.com. Uh, Harlan, is it, uh, what's the Twitter handle for, I mean, I'm going to link it. And, and Yes. So ra racing with IHR um, is our Twitter Um and the same on, on Instagram, uh, Iron Horse Racing Stable on Facebook. We, we try to do as much as possible. And it's, a, it's exciting, obviously, to speak to you, Al, um, because, you know, you're, you've become a, a vital part, a part of, um, of, of, of what we really enjoy. And the last thing I'll put in, especially because you've done such a great job of your podcast, I listen to them every time you put them out. Um, and that's really what's exciting. We use a, a, a platform called Slack. Um, and it allows all of our partners to communicate real time 24 seven. Um, and it is amazing to see all the connections that everybody within Iron Horse has made, the way they can communicate with us uh, to get information about the horses. Uh, and then really uh, a lot of things have blossomed uh, right from that platform. Uh, people who own the horses that are in England talking to people who own part of the horse in Texas and people having podcasts. So I, I wanna praise you for bringing your passion um, horse racing into the, the iron horse uh, uh family well i can't thank you enough for that the, those are kind words and yeah the the slack feature is is quite fun you make a lot of friends through it ryan and andrew we've we've come together in the in the slack chat room to you know have a weekly thing and where we scream and yell at each other and call each other names and it's fantastic <laughs> Um, and there, you, you've got so many different channels and things, everybody, whether it's, um, you know, if you're, if you're more interested in the, the breeding side, the handicapping side, there's, there's, uh, little channels for all those folks to, to get a question and you're very approachable. So please give these guys a, a, a look, just peruse it and, um, you know, send in an email, mention, mention the pod if you want to. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you, you know, you can join us and find out if not now, when, right? Perfect, Ryan. And what I'll do also is if anybody does uh, sign up for our newsletter, uh, there's a section in there where you can put in your name and a little comment. And if they do mention that they listen to the pod, uh, I'll draw, um, I'll draw some names next week uh, and I'll send out a, a free hat an Iron Horse Racing baseball hat, which I know you have one of Al and I wear. They're a comfy. Lot. They're actually yeah, they are. So if, if people <laughs> sign up for the sign up for the newsletter, make sure you put in a in the comment section and uh, the contact us that you you heard this on the podcast, and we'll draw a name for a hat. Beautiful man, and uh, well, you know you're a perfect lead in to the handicapping show, and I'm going to give it to Andrew. Uh, so with that, we'll catch you down the road, Harlan, and off to Andrew. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me on. Al. talk to you later. See ya. All right, everybody, another Thursday, and uh, we got done with the Belmont. It was fun to watch, not that much fun to bet, at least from my perspective. But uh, Al, I'm sure, has his own comments on that. And now we're into looking at How Belmont was it not fun? 
how is it not fun? You made money. Yeah, but he didn't. Make yeah, much but money you know, the, it just wasn't. You know, it wasn't a sporting interest. I was just sitting there making money. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the only reason I did make money was because of Al. Otherwise, I would have uh, lost. So. I'll tell you what. I, I saw Marshall Graham put out on Twitter. He's like, if Kantheka wins, that two-day pick five pays out 10x. X. And if you do some mental math, uh, you know, 10 grand would have been pretty good. I don't know much about anything, but I know that X is going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you. <laughs> That's, you know what? That's why we have you on here. <laughs> I busted out earlier in this episode with Matt Bernier, a Dan Cortez reference. So oh. we're, we're hitting them hard today with the references. That was, that was what MTV's, uh, uh, uh uh, sports, rock and Jack. Sports, rock and Jack. Yeah, that's what Rock and Jack. Dan Cortez, Dan Cortez. From the, from the seven-point line. <laughs> this is before not a good your, start. This yeah, not, before your time, start. Andrew. All right. What, <laughs> yeah, what do we got on tap? I'm just here stone-faced like, what? All right. YouTube it. Uh, <laughs> go Google it. Uh, go Google yourself. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to that horse. Hey, I so, like that horse, but not not – not Saturday, but I just like that horse in general. She's hey, been running well. Hey, for a long hey, time. hey, don't 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 get out of the gates too fast there, okay? We're gonna we're gonna start with Belmont, a, a wonderful weekend of racing. We're gonna hit the four stakes there. Then we're gonna switch over to Churchill and and take a look at those four stakes. They're gonna be quick, rapid fire, no pontificating. I'm looking at you, Andrew. Well, and uh you pontificator. <laughs> yeah, I see you with the soapbox. Let's start off uh, race seven, vagrancy, grade three, six and a half furlongs. Andrew Grismore, lead us off with uh, some kind of crazy nonsense. <laughs> All right, so um, the favorite in here is going to be Come Dancing, but uh, she lost her last two races. They were grade one. She didn't run all that well. I did uh, bet her one time. And that was when she lost to Midnight Bisu, which obviously was a mistake. So uh, she's going to go off the favorite in here, and she can absolutely win, but I'm not in love with her. Um, I'm going to Chad and Irad with the number one here with Royal Charlotte. I think that she has the ability to improve. And uh, if Come Dancing doesn't fire, then suddenly to me, this race is fairly wide open. Shalone does scare me, but um, I like Royal Charlotte. And then underneath that, I like Jakarta and Victim of Love. I like the two longest shots combined with the one in here. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, okay. Um, you know, and I thought casual was a huge money burner. Uh, <laughs> how, how's, that, how's that working out for you, Mr. Casual? I Still running, I hear. Um, I like I've been a single casual. Uh, look, Royal Charlotte just is not not going to win this race. Just not. I mean, and Jakarta and Victim of Love. I mean, I I don't like Victim of Love at all. Uh, this is a horse that's moving up, uh, like just a crazy amount. And if you look at that. Uh, June 18th race or January 18th race um, at Laurel 
I don't really know where that came from, uh, except to say may- maybe the horse likes off ground. Uh, Jakarta I gave a little bit of a look to, but I think it's just at the end of the day, it's cheap speed. And I think the four and six, even though on the pace projector, it, it it's projecting a slower pace. I think the four and six go. I mean, Saez is on and, and Lescano. I mean, they're, they're going one way. Uh, I think Pacific Gale is going to try to get a position uh, from the outside and could very easily press the pace. I think that last race at uh, Belmont 22 days ago was a good indication that if this horse is forward, it has a better shot of running in the number. So I think it's going to set up perfect for Mother Mother, Shalom, or Come Dancing, one of the three. I lean towards Mother Mother because I think uh, – going to be a price i like west coast dirt form i got my silver wig on you're going to get four to one maybe even a little bit higher last race muddy i don't think the horse really liked it five wide and then went out six wide in the upper stretch and really it didn't look like the the horse was enjoying it uh making up ground at the end there but uh I think this horse is just a little bit classy for this group, and it's going to get a little bit of pace set up, despite what uh, it says on the uh, pace projector, right? You're going to love this because I'm going with Irad Ortiz and Chad Brown on number one, Royal Charlotte, who did not run her race in the Ravens run and subsequently was off uh, for 230 days. Came back and ran at Belmont again at six furlongs on the muddy track. Came in second. But if you look back to the victory ride of last year at Belmont, same track, same distance. She won pretty convincingly over Cookie Dough. Was a pretty good, uh, pretty good runner in her own right. And I'm going with Irad Ortiz and Royal Charlotte. I... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I okay. mean. I mean, I, I think she can just run a better race than I, – I don't like Mother Mother in here at all. Uh, I, yeah. But – I can bench more than both of you. The, so we'll leave it at that and we'll move on. <laughs> the money's going to be spread around in that race. So if you're right, then you're going to you know be solid going into the next leg or even make some money in the, that individual race, even though it's a small field. So. Do I get to go first for the next race? Yes, yeah. the New Yorker, grade two, going a mile and a quarter on the inner turf. Ryan Dickey, what you got? Not to be a chalk-eating weasel, but I am going to eat chalk like a weasel in this race with the number one horse ridden by Irad Ortiz Jr. That's Call Me Love. Nine to five favorite on the turf, going to win. That's all. Yeah, that last race, I mean – this horse looks like it could be any type. Uh, and I, I didn't – that June 3rd race, uh, I mean, I had the horse as a backup. Um, and, you know, Christoph's barn was really just starting to heat up at that point and right in the middle of it, still riding pretty good. My concern uh, in this race is I, I think it's a two horse race. I think it's the one or the seven. I love me some grand motion right now. Everything he's thrown out there is strong. Mean Mary is a good horse. I mean, this horse is going to eat up every bit of a mile and a fourth. Uh, 
I, you know, I mean, it's rare to say, but a cutback from <laughs> to a mile and a quarter, uh, I think this horse has just tremendous amounts of speed, and it can stay. This horse can stay. I, I love, I love the seven. I, I would use the one too because I think the one is going to literally be right behind and have the best shot at, at getting in there. But for me, it's one and seven, and I would lean towards a seven because of the price. I agree with Al 100%. Let's move on. <laughs> nice. You like that one, bud? I, I, I like it. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the grade two, true north, the six-and-a-half furlong dirt race. Uh <laughs> Okay, wait, uh, Ryan. You'll be ans- you'll be able to answer this before we go any further. Yeah. Who was Forenze Fire's previous trainer? Uh, it was Jason Service. Whose promises fulfilled previous trainer? Uh, was it Jason Service? I th- I want to say so, because I think promises fulfilled was actually promise, in the indictment. I think promises fulfilled has always been with Romans. Has it? Yeah. I, I saw where you were going with it, and I just answered in the... Well, I was worried because... <laughs> no, it was World of Trouble. Oh, thank Christ. Yeah, Promises Fulfilled in a landslide. Yeah, Promises... <laughs> so you like Promises Fulfilled? Yeah, give it to me. The only one I could... Uh, uh, if you're using prices, I did like uh, Stan the Man, um, and I thought Yorkton was... Mildly interesting, but uh, I, I'm going to fade Forenze Fire, and I know this last race, uh, sloppy. I mean, that track was taking all sorts of all sorts of rain. Um, I don't know what this horse is yet. Um, I don't know what's going on with the horse. Less so. juicy. <laughs> I want Andrew to go with it this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I hope What's so funny, girls? <laughs> I hope Promises Fulfilled and Frenzy Fire get bet like crazy here because I do like Stan the Man as my top choice. Oh, 20 Jesus to 1 Christ. on the morning line. Joel Rosario coming in from behind on a long shot. Beat me last time. Won't beat me again on this 20 to 1. I'm taking him all the way. So, um, <laughs> you're going to kill my tickets this weekend. So, back to my weasel diet of chalk. <laughs> I'm going to go with Irad Ortiz Jr. And, <laughs> and that's my pick in this race. The True North. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to see you're doing well as uh, Irad's uh, jock. You picked up his book. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm the, I'm the new agent. Yeah. 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 Next race. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the favorites in there. I think they're both declining in form. I, I'm more scared of Frenzy Fire than uh, the other, but I, I think that any of the long shots could win in there. Um, the just a game, one mile on a turf uh, course, uh, Grade One, uh, the Chad Brown Invitational. Who do you got, Andrew? <laughs> Mooney, 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 give me the Mooney, Mooney, Mooney. Oh. That is the worst. Please never do that again. Now hang on here. Now I thought it was great. You thought it was terrible. Can we meet in the middle and say it was good? 
<laughs> we can meet in the middle and just never do it again. Right. For the love of Christ. So I gotta I am, admit, I gotta admit, I didn't even make that up. It was my friend's chant, and we were chanting it all Breeders' Cup long, and it was a winning chant to victory. Uh, Uni is a beast. I think newspaper of record fluked out and somehow managed to win last time against lesser competition. Uni's legit. I'm sticking with two two tenets here. Number one tenant is newspaper of record is good in years that are um, odd numbered <laughs> years. She was good in 2017. She's good in 2019 to start. And number two, chalk eating weasel. Uh, although she's not the, the favorite here, Uni is a favorite. She also has Irad Ortiz Jr. in the eyes. <laughs> and the reason I say this is I'm going to play a pick five starting in race number seven, and I am going to – He's singling Irad. I'm going to go Irad, 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 and then all. Now, he has a he has a mount in the finale, but it's always a good idea to get paid on your opinions. And my opinion is he's going to win all four of these stakes races, and I want to get paid in the pick five for that. It's not going to pay a lot because we're going chalk eating weasel, chalk eating weasel. But I'm going Irad, 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 all. Pick five. Play it for five bucks and you're in good shape. I'll play it for uh, 50 cents yeah. and I'll like it. <laughs> That's <laughs> absolutely wild. Um, yeah, I don't I, – I mean, <laughs> newspaper <laughs> of records going to get out to the front here, um, set the pace. Uh, I think – I think you saw this horse do what it wants to go, which is uh, one mile, a one-turn mile. Um, I didn't think the last race was a fluke. Those are wicked fast fractions for seven furlongs uh, and just buried the field. Four or six, I mean, you you could make a case for using both. can you, can you talk about newspaper of record liking softer ground maybe as one of the reasons why she just blasted away from them? What, what's the deal with I, that? I just, I think, I, I think she does like giving the ground. I, I think that certainly helped her. Um, you could also be looking at a horse that is just doing what it wants to do, which is one turn. Um, yeah. And it's getting out to the front. And I, I mean, last year in the wonder again, should have won that race, except Cambier Park was just an amazing form. It would subsequently go out to Santa Anita and win a great uh, a turf race out there, or Del Mar. Um, and then that that uh, Belmont, Belmont Oaks last year was just, God, the horse just went sideways. Um, I, I, I would – newspaper records going to get the lead – Give me the horse on the lead and give me the horse that is going to close into it. And uh, I like the one or the seven to fill out the try. All right. We're going to Churchill now, huh? Let's. Nice. Skip race five. Go to race seven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Race eight. Race eight. The Bashford Manor, six furlongs, two-year-old – one of the first two-year-old stakes, right? Correct. Um, yeah, okay, so who, who, uh, who's who got the Bashford Manor pick? You, Ryan? Yeah, I do. Um, there's no Irad Ortiz in this in this race, so I'm going to have to actually handicap it. Um, 
every race, every horse in this race has raced one time and won. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we got seven starters with seven races with seven wins. They were all impressive in their own right. Um, I think Gatsby probably raced against a couple better horses. I think the number six, uh, who's that? Casadero or Cat? Oh, how do we say this one's name? Casadero. I think Casadero uh, ran an impressive race. I'm going to go with a bumblebee in this race. And a, a bumblebee, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with the saying, but uh, apparently those big, fat, hairy bumblebees are aerodynamically not supposed to fly. <laughs> Just their bodies are too big and they weigh too much and their wings don't flap fast enough. They shouldn't be able to fly. But they're bumblebees and they're too stupid to know that they're not allowed to fly. So they just fly around because they're bumblebees. I'm taking the bumblebee crown and coke in this race. (laughs) Yes. With a bumblebee rider in Miguel Mena. He doesn't know that he's not supposed to be good. He is good. He's a really good jockey. I like Miguel Mena. Nobody's going to bet this horse. And the reason no one's going to bet this horse is he came out of Mountaineer. Uh, He ran in a four and a half furlong race. A couple other horses in this race have run in four and a half races. This horse just completely destroyed his field and here it comes it was a field at mountaineer i get it but sometimes young horses when they win a race wire to wire the first time sometimes they just are bumblebees and they don't know that they're not supposed to do that and i think crown and coke is going to be completely disregarded at the uh, betting windows in this race and i'm going to play him a little bit to win but mostly in the second spot i think he's going to get out front going to get in the lead he's going to have other horses chase him someone's going to pass him maybe Gatsby maybe the six but for me I'm betting crown and coke the bumblebee in this race uh, I'll put I'll put an, I'll put my six pack you on me uh that that horse doesn't make the number okay <laughs> fair enough uh I'll I'll take it um Get uh, geez. <laughs> so, I I don't like these four and a half furlong sprint races where where you got a horse coming out of it and then they they stretch out to six furlongs. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with the West Coast Invaders here. Uh, give me Peter Miller on top. Uh, I I like this hard immunity horse. Um. I I think when you watch that race back and I only got to do, you know, I haven't done my full replay work, so forgive me, but I thought the horse should not have won the race. I mean, it just, it shouldn't have. Uh, And it came, it it had a horrible break Um, and just right behind it from the start. But but was able to get up to the pack and and make a nice move and win convincingly. I like West Coast dirt horses, and when you're when you're throwing them out at Churchill, uh, Peter Miller has a pretty good track record of it. Um, I like the five. I, I would also uh, use the four here. Uh, shout out Mike Rapoli, uh, hopefully future owner of the Mets, and then uh, Casadero too. Um, I'm not a big fan of Gatsby. Uh, I watched that race. Uh, Golden Pal's a, a nice horse, but um, I don't 
I don't know what that that race really is. I, I don't that, that I, I don't the, know what to make of it. That because was like Gulf, Gulfstream Park. Of that was the first yes. race for two year olds. Period. Right. It was. It was the Arendelle Arendelle race. Yep. The, the the owners won the were first and second in the first two year old race. Yeah. Here here's my problem with that. Uh, Gulfstream Park this early spring, the dirt course in the dirt, and yeah, it all played to speed. Uh, so basically as long as you just went, uh, and Jaramillo is a, a speed guy, as long as you just went, uh, you were going to look like, you know, sunshine, rainbows, and, uh, gumdrops. I don't Rainbow like it. Six. Yeah. I, I'm not a big fan. Four five, six for me. Sure. All right. I like the three. Next. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking like the Florida guy. The I Great like Gatsby, Gatsby is my favorite novel of all time, and I like Gatsby in that race, but I'm sticking with my Bumblebee pick. I like okay. it. And I will have a crown and coat when I will have a crown and coat when that horse finishes second and the uh, $2 exacta pays $88 when uh, Gatsby wins over crown and coke. Okay, F. Scott Fitzgerald, who you got in the Fleur de Lis? Well, here's the fun thing is everyone likes Midnight Bisu, and I don't blame them. She's probably in the uh, in the conversation for horse of the year. Uh, she has not done well at Churchill Downs. She's finished third both times she played, she raced at Churchill Downs. And both times that she raced, she finished two behind Monomoy Girl, who was slated for this race, but is not in this race. Okay, this race drew seven, but it's a very strong field of seven. This is a very, very, very strong rendition of the Fleur de Lis. Very happy with uh, the way that Churchill drew this race. It would have been great if Monomoy Girl came in. I think Midnight Beast, who comes in second in this race, coming off her uh, second-place finish over in uh, Saudi Arabia for the Saudi Cup behind maximum security. Uh, I think I'm going to play her in the second spot here. I like Go Google Yourself. We talked about her a little bit earlier. I think that she has a couple hidden, uh, hidden good races, uh, you know, two back. Then she was on a little bit of a streak where she won three out of four races. Um, you know, that race down at the Apple Blossom, I mean, you can't fault her for falling apart. That race was just disgusting. So give her a break for that one. I like Chocolate Kisses a little bit at a price. Um, I think Mark, Mark Cassie's barn has not been the greatest lately, but it might be turning around now. And then you can't leave Serengeti Empress out. So for me in this race, I'm going to play the one, the three, and the four over Midnight Bisu. I think Midnight Bisu finishes second, and that's my opinion for that. Ooh, I'm not trying to beat the favorites in here on this one. This is one that I could pass on. Uh, Ryan, I hope you're right, uh, but I don't know. I think Midnight Bisu is going to be really, really tough in here, and she's going to be so bet down that it's not even really worth playing unless you really like the others. And if you do, I think that's awesome, but – this may be a passer for me. What do, you think, I, uh, what do you think the Serengeti Empress over Midnight Bisu exactly would pay for two bucks? Ten, ten, ten dollars, twelve dollars, maybe. Oh God, uh, four over five in here. I'll probably play pay out at like four. Maybe you think it'd be, that, that, be that low? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I changed my mind. I'm going to play the one and the three over the five. I'm not even going to play Serengeti Empress. So one. Three, one and three over five for the exact for me because it's not even worth playing the four or five. Yep. Okay, next. Sorry. 
Oh, I don't get a pick. No, you get a no, pick. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my on this guy over here. Uh, I'm singling here. Uh, I love Serengeti Empress. Um, this horse is needs the lead. Just has to go to the front, and we'll get the front and comfortably. Uh, last year's Kentucky Oaks, you saw what this horse can do over a Churchill track. Uh, I think Joe Talamo is starting to get hot. He was the drizzling shits. Uh, <laughs> God, was he bad. Um, and and uh, I think last weekend he won like three or four. Uh, and, and he started to get hot. And he's starting to, you know, pick up good mounts and, and do right by him. Um, that is a nice little bit, but who goes with Serengeti Empress here? Who? Nobody. Nobody. The she's going to get an easy lead. She's going to dictate terms, and we've seen what she can do. Going as fast as she wants, and I don't think she's going to have pace pressure. I th- I think you, if she does not have anybody keeping up with her, she's a single. Um. If she does have pace pressure, then Midnight Bisu picks up the pieces sitting right behind. That's the only outcome I can see. I, I, you know, you're right. You know, go Google yourself and Chocolate Kisses. They're nice horses. Uh, another broad is is a decent horse and it has um, a great name. It's a great it's a great name. Uh, they're out of their depths against. <laughs> Serengeti Empress and Midnight Bisu. It's uh, you know, it's the New York Yankees against the Toledo Mudhens. That's hey. how I see this. Hey. Nothing wrong with the Mudhens. Okay. Um, uh, you know, but I, I, I'm gonna single the four here. I just like how this race sets up. Very much like uh, Gamine last week, where it's a slow. It's, it's going to favor a horse on the front. The horse is going to make the front and just take them wire to wire. Remember when I said she was going to win by 18 and three quarter lengths? <laughs> yeah. How'd that casual pick five single workout? Didn't go, didn't go with it. Anyway, oh, okay. go ahead. Next. Good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Good yep. talk. <laughs> Stephen Foster, uh, grade two affair, mile and an eighth. What do we like? Uh, I'll tell you what, this was the hardest race for me of the, of the eight that we looked at because there's two horses that I like at Churchill Downs and in the Clark last year, I wanted Owendale to win. I thought Tom's Data was the better horse. I thought that uh, Owendale was the, the horse to back in that race and they finished one, two. I liked Owendale when he came back and raced at Churchill last month and he, he won and I just have a hard time in this race. Those are the two that I think will win. Again, much like the Fleur de Lis, this race drew very, very well. There's eight horses in the field. You can make a bit of an argument for a couple of them. But as far as I'm concerned, the winner is either Tom's d'Etat or Owendale. I'm going to play both of them in the multis. Obviously, with Owendale having better odds, he'd be the one that I would prefer to win. But uh, I think the two winners, two most logical winners are the five and the eight. And then uh, on front, the Pirates punch, he could put him to sleep. He could get out there in a nice uh, 
early uh, fractions and, and maybe you, save you see who he end. picked up. You see who he picked up as the jock. <laughs> well, Mike Smith, he's, he's done well before. His name's Money Mike Smith, they call him. I, I think that if he gets out front and puts him to sleep, he's going to be dangerous. So I'm going to play some uh, exacta and trifecta boxes. I'm going to add the two. So two, five, eight for me in this race. All right, Andrew, who are you going with? I there's a lot of hype around by my standards I feel like and when he raced at fairgrounds I was like ah, I don't get the hype and he crushed at Oakland uh I don't really get the hype still and uh he took care of business I think that I'm gonna hop on the by my standards bandwagon and he'll probably come in last but that's my move and I'm sticking to it like um i matt bernier uh really did a great job on his podcast and and i kind of alluded to it and, and he talks up by my standards as well i love tom's data i i i love by my standards i think both of them can carry this older division the classic division of of older colts um, I, there's one other horse I would use in this race. And if you like Owendale, I suggest you grab this one. And that is the one fearless in that last race at Churchill, which was dead slow. Now I think it might've been the track might've set up for it playing towards closers a tad. However, when this horse breaks eight and a half lengths behind the leader and it is slow fractions for a mile and a 16th and it wins like the surest thing on the board. It's impressive. I, I, I have to sit back and go, okay, well, you know, was he with the bias a little bit? However, I do believe closing into slow fractions, it, you have to account for it somewhat. In the number, I like the one. Um, I, I, it's just hard for me to get past uh, Tom's Day Tom by my standards just based on their class level. Owendale, um, I, you know, I see your case, Ryan, for Owendale. Uh, but, you know, these closers – Owendale and Fearless are going to be riding the same deal, and Owendale's just going to be stuck wider than Fearless. Um, so I think Fearless, just on the saving ground point of view, is, is um, to me, I like that a little bit more than just staying out wide. All right. Finishing strong. All right, the three-year-old regret, grade three, mile and eighth on the turf. Who do you got? Start us off, Andrew. I like the nine, Eve of War, in here. Um, let me pull up my PPs and figure Todd out. Todd Fletcher, Giroux. I mean, that's part of it. But I think – so it was – Waiting for my PP slowed up here. So I liked him um, in that Teppen race. He was 15 to 1. I thought the odds were right, and he got outrun in there. 
but I think that he deserves another chance. I like that they're going a little bit longer in here, and I have a feeling that he's going to improve, and I don't want to play necessarily too many of these uh, short odds horses because I think that this field is one where pretty much anybody could win, and if you start looking at figures and you say, well, why is this one 5 to 1 and this one 12 to 1? If they all look very, fairly similar, then I'm going to pick some that I like here with breeding that I like. I think Declaration of War is underrated and uh, go with the 9. I also like, though, at 15 to 1, way outside, one that might not be uh, considered too much in here that has not lost a race yet. He's 2 for 2. And that's Hendy Woods, the son of Uncle Mo. And he's had some pretty good turf runners. He hasn't done anything wrong. And uh, his numbers stack right up with the rest of the field. His morning line is 15 to 1. So why, gonna, why am I going to bet some others in here if I think some of the longer prices are more competitive? Uh, sure, maybe uh, Crystal Cliffs is the most likely winner in here. But I, with competitive figures, undefeated, I like Hendy Woods. I like Eva Warm. We'll see how they run. You know, they, they, don't, they don't have to uh, crush. It's probably going to be close at the end. But if they can get up there and I'll be playing them, wheeling them in exactas, trifectas, I think they can make the odds board uh, explode a little bit and uh, get you some nice payouts if they run well. Okay. Ryan, where are you going? Well, this one, you're going to have to go deep here. I think there's a lot of horses that have some chances here. Todd Pletcher has one runner in all four of the stakes races at Churchill Downs. In the first three, he's got uh, Johnny V. Johnny V is his first up rider, so he has Johnny V in three of the races. In this race, Johnny V is on the favorite number five, Crystal Cliffs, uh, for Graham Motion. And I think this one, I think she's going to get bet very strongly, like Andrew said, I think this is one that you have to use uh, in the multi-race bets. It's not the one I like the best. The one I like the best is a horse coming off a very poor um, performance, and that's number 10, Harvey's Little Goyle. Harvey's Little Goyle finished way up the track last time in a race that Swiss Skydiver and Venetian Harbor and She Dares the Devil um, finished one, two, three in the fantasy. That's one of the best three-year-old races that you're ever going to see. That, that fantasy race, outstanding the talent that, that they had at Oakland that day. This one didn't do well in that race. I think maybe uh, going back to the turf was a good idea. It's been 57 days since that race. I think this one's going to be not bet well. Uh, you got you know Garcia's in the irons not doing well. Mott Barn has been so-so, hasn't been great, hasn't been terrible. Uh, I think this is one that we definitely need to use. I'm with Andrew on Eve of War now. I know that Pletcher gets Florent Giroux in this race on Eve of War, and I think she has a chance also, and again, coming off a poor performance. I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, but I like to bet horses that have come off poor, poor, poor performances because I think they get forgotten at the windows a lot because – uh, people have a recency bias. So I think this is a horse who's done much better than her last um, effort showed. Number one, Dominga, I got to use for um, Brad Cox, Sean Bridgman's in the irons. Um, this one, 
didn't do very well against sharing and abscond two back, uh, or I'm sorry, last out, and then one two back against Wex, who's in this race. And I think this is a horse that, that needs to be used. So I'm going to go very deep here. I'm going to use the one, use the five. I'm going to use the nine and the 10. So, you know, I'm going deep. That's it. But uh, the one I like the best is Harvey's Little Goyle. Yeah, so I, I agree. That I'm going to go deep here too. Uh, I, I think for me – uh, in, in turf and dirt racing, it, you're, you're looking for that inside out trip, uh, the horse that's going to save ground and then kick out into the clear, especially in turf racing. You just see it like, I mean, Chad Brown is the king of this where the horses save a ton of ground. They're heading into the final turn and the horse kicks out 24 wide and wins. Right, and you go. Where the hell did that horse come from? I tried to bet against him, and I lost. Here, I think this race could set up for some speed. I think they could cook up front um, with the four and nine, you know, showing some previous speed. It, what the two does is going to be interesting. Um, I know the two is, you know, know. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it when I see yeah. it. Um, but I think the four and nine could very easily hook up. Uh, for me, I, I do like Hendy Woods here. I do respect Harvey's little Goyle. Um, I, I would lean, and I'm only going to give three horses here. I'm going to go five, 13, and 12. Uh, I realize that you could use the one, the four, uh, the nine, the 10 i i do realize that uh past the plate when you're when you're only losing to sharing by you know a length and a quarter um and i don't think you're getting six to one on saturday but when you're when you're only losing by by a, a length uh you know it tells me that this horse is you know of some quality Horses could be coming from behind. If you think there's any type of fast pace, uh, it's going to set up for this one. Um, I think if you're going to use the 12, you, you probably want to use the one defensively as well. I think they're the two best closers here. Uh, and so I try to play it for both angles. Closers, if it's a fast pace, and then, you know, a horse that can stalk. So Hendy Woods, perfect stalking spot. Um, Harvey's little Goyle should set a, a nice stocking trip as well. And then, you know, Eva war and in good spirits as well, have that, that front end ability. So if nobody wants to go as is the case, a lot in Naira, um, and it could be the case at Churchill Saturday, you lean on them, but, uh, crystal cliffs for me with past the plate and handy woods, and then maybe throw in uh, one or nine defensively. And, and that's where I ended up. All right. It should be fun to watch. It's uh, we're getting some action back now. So, thanks. yeah, I'm I'm kind of impressed with you, gentlemen. We we did uh, in in 30 minutes. We did uh, what eight stakes races. Yep. We didn't you know, bloviate. I'm I'm proud of you. I mean, I bet I bet four races with the same jockey. <laughs> yeah, I have a strong opinion. 
<laughs> yeah, that that was uh, that was real strong stuff there, Ryan. You're really helping out the listeners. That's fantastic. Eat chalk. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, next weekend we got uh, we got a hell of a card at Belmont. Um, Ryan, any update or any uh, previews from that uh, Met Mile Day card? No, I have nothing. No inside information on that, unfortunately. Uh, Mr. Freeze should be in it. That's the only thing I know. Sorry. And I will be betting against Mr. Freeze. Yeah. Eh. He had some problems. He had some problems, airway problems early in his career. He got that fixed, and I think yeah, he's he's one of Dale's better better runners. So yeah, like just, Mr. Freeze, but we'll see. We'll see how it draws. Yep, there's yeah. plenty to look forward to. I mean, it's gonna be before we know it, and Keeneland's gonna be doing oh, their yeah. Thing. So that well, I'm be- lo- yeah, I think we're all looking forward to Keeneland opening up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we can't blink because it's five days. gotta love that right uh it's fine with me i I mean i love i love uh kentucky downs i love their tiny little meat so i mean why can't i like well they do a great job kentucky downs and keeneland do a fantastic job i I agree and here okay so uh, getting off that subject for a second can somebody accurately in this chat describe to me why Belmont field sizes are at like six right now and Churchill's drawn 13. Sure. All the better horses are in Kentucky. Okay. Well, uh, there goes our Naira sponsorship. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Um, Appreciate that. Love you, you, Naira. No, my my thing is, is like, you know – is it just that more horses were sent to Kentucky because they were like, oh, okay, well, Churchill's going to open up early and, and we can do Keeneland anyway, so we're just going to send them all there? Yeah, I, don't, I really don't know what, what the actual reason is. I mean, it might be that New York was really the hotbed for, for COVID um, and Kentucky not so much, and I think that if – when you're down at Oaklawn, you're you're wintering in Oaklawn, and you're like, hey, you know, we got to send our string north. We normally go to New York, but look what's going on there versus what's going on in Kentucky. I don't think it was a very tough call to to say, hey, we'll we'll go to Kentucky because then you can stable at Keeneland, you can stable at Churchill Downs, you can actually stable at um, Trackside, which is off the uh, beaten path here in Louisville. So I I, I think it was just. In this situation with everything that's going on, I think it was just the safer play. There's nothing wrong with Naira. There's nothing wrong with Belmont. There's nothing wrong with racing in New York. I mean, I, I can't wait till Saratoga runs. But I think that it was just a safer uh, play to come to Kentucky th- at this time. Hey, and by the way, uh, you had a funny tweet uh, oh, just out- outlining uh, what's going on in Illinois. Can you uh, kind of give like a brief overview of what you're – <laughs> what you heard yeah I, I see you you're, you're just like yeah it's a it's a mind number but uh what what happened what came of it and uh you know I I mean it's a longer form discussion down the road we we probably end up having on this podcast but you know is Illinois going to be racing again what's going on I mean they're going to be racing this year for sure um no Arlington Million, though, correct? No, no. There's no stakes races at Arlington Park this year. 
Um, there were a lot of things in motion during this Illinois Racing Board meeting. The Illinois Racing Board meeting was a continuation of probably three previous Illinois Racing um, Board meetings. Some of them were special meetings. Some of them were regularly scheduled meetings. And originally, it was just to ratify the dates at Arlington Park. The problem was the Arlington Park management and the horsemen of Illinois they couldn't get together on a contract for this year. They saw things eye to eye for many issues, including not having stakes races this year because of the purse account can't afford it. They uh, decided that they were going to have X amount of days. I don't remember off the top of my head how many days it is. It might, be, it might be 60, it might be 64, I don't know. But they couldn't decide whether they wanted to do a one-year contract or a two-year contract. They normally do two-year contracts, and Arlington Park was insistent upon it being a two-year contract horsemen are like hey with everything that's going on plus you know we're not gonna, we're going to race differently this year why don't we just do a one-year contract and come back and and look at it again uh, next year and Arlington Park's like nope two years so they finally agreed upon that and then they had a couple of other issues they were supposed to meet or they did meet every time they were supposed to meet they meet they met but they were supposed to come to a conclusion two weeks ago and they didn't they're supposed to come to a conclusion 10 days ago. They didn't. They're supposed to come to a conclusion. I want to say four or five days ago and they didn't. And then two days ago, they finally made an agreement 15 minutes before they went on the air for this Illinois uh, racing board meeting. And they're like, yep, we've got an agreement, blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> everyone was glad handing and congratulating each, congratulating each other for job well done. And it's a good thing. We work together, blah, blah, blah. And then someone from Hawthorne said, Hey, what about us? We were open this whole entire time. We had our backside open. Uh, all the horses that are training for Arlington Park are here. You know, we've been open for three months at a, at a cost of $239,000 per month uh, that we incurred that you didn't incur. Can we get some money from the, uh, from the OTV account, the uh, off-track betting? It's called the dark host days. When your track isn't running, you can still be the host for the state. Um, through the OTBs and Arlington was awarded all the all the days and Hawthorne said hey we want some well that threw a monkey wrench in everything and listening to this meeting online they were off the rails I mean they they came off the rails they weren't yelling and screaming and calling each other names but they did about as close as they could without doing it it's a mess Illinois racing is a mess there's no no Arlington million this year there's no stakes races at Arlington Hawthorne's going to keep running like normal, but next year, there's a possibility that next year could be the last year we have racing in Illinois. I, I, I went to Arlington. I was talking to you about this the mm -hmm. other day offline. Um, I, I really enjoyed Arlington. However, mm -hmm. um, when you go there, it's very Churchill down-ish. They put... They own that track and they put their tinge on it. Hawthorne's a family run track. Mm -hmm. One of the only ones I believe that's out there, uh, at least at a large level. Right. And it seems like in the past few years, Churchill last year with that beautiful, uh, you know, uh, the historical racing machine money. Uh, that was a fun one. Um, that you know, I'm sure you covered. 
you can read the writing on the wall and it's uh it's sad but i i think it's one of the it's going to be the first place the domino falls and unfortunately uh i mean this is for another podcast again is you know what's the landscape look like in five years in 10 years and i don't yeah i I don't believe that you're going to see i I think it's very possible you see 30 percent of the tracks cut sure and and that's just i mean look i mean vegas with the with the fees for simulcasting and vegas is only playing tampa bay downs yeah, I know. On a Tuesday, that's all you can bet in Vegas. Yeah, like it's real sad there. Yeah, it's uh, the the sport is uh, you know the it, Nick Tamaro the uh, the other well, I think it was last week on uh, JK Plus One, which I encourage everybody to listen to. It's fantastic. Um, he, he you know he basically called it. this. You know people don't want to talk about it or recognize it, but we're we're in a we're in a very you know critical moment for horse racing and a lot of people are focused on the regret or you know uh the just a game but there's some things afoot like ryan's covering that uh gotta keep your eyes on and that's the only way that's the only reason i bring it up but i'm gonna get off my soapbox thank you ryan yeah andrew take us home andrew aren't you glad you have a horse now (laughs) <laughs> doom and gloom we got doom and gloom all over here well oh uh, no he's all right it, it, that, that horse is gonna be running at golf stream and golf stream right. is never going away because they give rebates to everybody who plays a pick six right. allegedly right all right well again plenty to look forward to focus on the fun this weekend while we can at least and we'll talk to you guys later